0: Welcome to The Lit Life, the podcast by two Nightdale librarians, Nightdale staff, and Nightdale students, where we talk about lit, YA lit. Hey, it's Mrs. Behrend. And Mrs. Tosh. And we are talking lit classic books. Uh, And my favorite classic book, well, one of my favorite classic books is Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte.
1: And one of my favorites is The Sound in the Fury by William Faulkner.
0: Spoiler alert. If you have never read those books, we are probably likely to um, tell you the ending. Because <laughs> we're going to be talking <laughs> literary elements and uh, how they relate to our two favorite classic books. So we're going to start with character because one of my favorite characters of all times is Jane Eyre. I think she's one of the original, like one of the OG feminists out there. But she's also kind of a Cinderella in that. Not that she needs to be rescued, but in that she is really, really poorly treated pretty much all throughout her life, and yet she still rises above that to be this amazingly strong woman who sticks to her morals even when the thing that's always been kept from her, her whole life, which is love, is dangled in front of her. She still sticks to her morals and denies herself that love. To stay with her strong character, and I just think that's kind of amazing, especially for a novel that was written, you know, a couple hundred years ago, possibly. <laughs> yeah, I think it was like 1847, something like that. Anyway, um, so a little shade on that, <laughs>
1: <laughs> The Sound and the Fury is really interesting because the most fascinating character to me is Caddy Thompson, and she is the only girl of a family of boys, um, but. All of the boys get a chapter where they get to tell their version of the story, and all of their versions of the story center on her. But she actually does not get her own chapter; she doesn't get to have her own voice. So we only ever see her through everyone else's perspective, um, and some of them are kind of unreliable narrators, which is uh, another really important part of that book. So Caddy is this um, very independent person, kind of like Jane Eyre, in that she rejects all of the, you know, southern genteel restrictions that are put on her um, by society, by her family, by her brothers, um, and she goes her own way. And that is really hard. She has a very hard time. She um, kind of ends up on her own a lot. And the family raises her daughter, her illegitimate daughter, who um, is, you know, another strong female character that, again, we only see from the perspective of the males. So it's a really interesting story um, and it's kind of a neat companion to Jane Eyre in that way.
0: Awesome. I'm going to jump ahead to narrator and like how that plays a part in the story. Because when you think about um, Jane Eyre, Jane Eyre is actually, it used to be subtitled an autobiography, even though it's a fictional work, it is written from Jane's perspective. And so it's written in first person and she, um, she speaks the whole time, like, in first person, which is kind of cool. And there's actually a part at the end that I love where she actually speaks to the reader, just like that part in Ferris Bueller, where Ferris Bueller's always mm-hmm. speaking to the camera. <laughs> yeah. Jane does that at the end of the story. And I love that. I love that it's all from her perspective, which is kind of cool.
1: That's uh, Yeah, that's kind of the exact opposite of The Sound and the Fury. Um, in fact, there's only one woman in the book that gets her own chapter, her own part, and that's guilty who is Um, this cook who's hired to make meals and things like that because the the mom is um, ill and she's also like just a terrible person. Um, But Dilsey is this very like kind of down to earth and like just kind, loving person. Um, So one of the parts of the book is told from her perspective. Um, No, it focuses on her, but it's not told from her perspective. So the only first person sections of the book are all from male perspectives, which is kind of an interesting take on it. So um, the narrator in The Sound and the Fury changes. It starts with um, Benji, who is the youngest um, member of the family. And he is, they call him the idiot. He he has a lot of uh, mental disabilities. He has a lot of trouble sort of connecting things that are really happening. So his is in this like, really rambling first person perspective where it's kind of hard to know what's going on a lot of the times. And then it switches from that to Clinton, who is the middle son. And he is again, kind of hard to follow because it's all in this like rambling stream of consciousness, but like, there's no real, um, pause in his thoughts and he's struggling with kind of (laughs) everything that's happening, especially with caddy. So he, um, he has these really dark thoughts that you kind of go through. And then the third one is Jason, the cynic, and he is just a terrible, terrible uh, human being. Like he's an awful person, but his section is the only one. Like I can't really say his opening line um, because, you know, this is a school podcast, but yeah, he's, uh, he opens with some profanity about a sister. So, um, but, so his is the only one that's really like, a straightforward linear narrative. So it's just a really interesting take on how the narrator can drive the story.
0: I guess the good thing is that the narrator switch. So if you don't like a particular character, you get to switch to another character in a different that's chapter. Very true. <laughs> and that's one bonus that I love Jane so much because everything is from her perspective. It kind of helps me really enjoy the book a little bit more that everything's from her perspective in this particular book. Um, because this book is kind of written like a an autobiography, you get to join Jane from the time that she's 10 years old into the time that she grows into a young woman. And then even a little further. Um, so you see everything from her perspective about her, you know, her loveless life at um, her aunt's house who took her in Um, her perspective about what that life was like to her, even though she was in the lap of luxury, everything was denied to her. She was treated almost like a servant in that house. And then she gets sent off to Lowood School, which is this very bare bones place that like kids are just dying left and right because they're malnourished and they don't have warmth. And it's so severe that like when the fever comes through, it just takes half of the school. And so you're seeing all of this from her perspective and she loses like her only dear friend in her whole life at that point in time in her life. And she's almost about to become bitter. And and then like, she sort of has a revelation that she can actually take control of her life. And she takes her friendship and kind of helps that spur her into, again, this independent woman where she actually advertises for a job, which is kind of crazy and then she sort of takes her own life that turns into a romantic thing for her down the, re- down the road it's kind of cool yeah I really did like that aspect you know you know me you know Jane Eyre like
1: that whole um time period is not my favorite but I did like that um that particular aspect of the novel I think the character really awesome she's pretty sweet
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um you know one of the kind of cool things that um you know still dealing with like character and the setup and all that, one of the interesting things that Faulkner did was he sort of told us about the characters by their relationships with other people. So like Miss Thompson, who is the, the mother, she's awful. And the only one of her children that she loves is Jason, who is equally awful. <laughs> so, um, and then the opposite of that is like guilty is this kind of caring, you know, motherly figure that they really need. Um, And Benji loves Dilsey and he loves Caddy and he loves Clinton. So he kind of hints that like all of those three have um, they care about things that are outside themselves. So it's kind of an interesting way to um, show readers, I guess, rather than just telling them that like, hey, Jason sucks. You know, he's terrible. But, (laughs) you know, he he, uh, he uses like that structure.
0: That's cool. I don't know that, I'm trying to think if that really happens in Jane Eyre where you kind of learn, and you kind of learn about all the characters through Jane's perspective So and how they affect her. Um, But then you kind of see how their actions um, define them a little bit further. You know, like the people who are horrible to her when she is younger, you know, the karma kind of comes and gets them later on Mm -hmm. in their lives. Mm -hmm. And you see it from her perspective. And even though she's a forgiving character and a, a forgiving person, you still see that there's like a little a little poetic justice to how some things happen to some of the characters (laughs) (laughs) in James. (laughs) Right. Um, I think the setting in this particular novel is not, is not always your favorite, but I um, think it's fascinating. I think as an American, I'm always fascinated, you know, with the English classist system and having royalty and the servant master roles that people were so rigidly set in. Um, and so that definitely lays the groundwork for this, this novel. It, you know, Jane is really an educated woman. and actually that kind of brings in a little bit of the word choice um, of the story because it's written in definitely educated English. Um, so you definitely feel that Jane is not a servant type of person, a servant type of character. Um, and that plays into like how I viewed her a lot. But um, that it, it, this whole concept of you are set as a servant and you are set as a teacher and you are set as someone who is a landowner and has a title and that those parties shouldn't really intermix. That's a huge part of this book. And again, way ahead of its time, right? that she actually yeah. crosses those those roles, which is I think pretty sweet but the setting yes. without that setting i just don't know that it would feel the same
1: kind of interesting because Faulkner wrote almost all of his books if not all of them i can't quite remember in this fictional county it's Yoknapatawpha County in Mississippi um, and it's all like he has this incredibly detailed like family tree of all the people that live there and all that like he he was kind of insane with that in a genius sort of way but um, it's, it's got some of the similar restrictions in that it's, you know, it's the old South. So people are expected to be a certain way. They're expected to be, you know, um, to have certain characteristics and behave in certain ways. And um, Taddy doesn't adhere to any of that. And she actually, according to her brothers, some of her brothers, she brings about the ruin of the family, right? Because she allows herself to be spoiled and she allows herself to... Um, do things that she shouldn't do and the, it kind of like is taking part as the family is already like falling into ruin. So um Jason especially blames it all on her. Um but it's the setting definitely plays into the whole idea of um like control, social control. You know, there's history and tradition and all these things that you're supposed to be doing, all the complications of small town life. And you can see that with um, the word choice, too, like you were saying, because when when people are speaking a certain way, it's it shocks some of the other characters. You know, if you say something that's not expected, then everybody just reacts, like, to an insane degree, which is, I know, the kind of thing that happens with um, Jane Eyre and similar books, too, where, you know, if somebody speaks out of turn or they speak above their station or anything like that, then, you know,
0: that's a problem. Yeah, for sure. I always feel like I'm supposed to be free of that in today's day and age and where we live. But, you know, we're still bound by social constraints, too, right?
1: Definitely. And, you know, it's and it comes down to even things like profanity. You know, people are not supposed to say bad words and that sort of thing. So um, one of the ways that Jason is portrayed as this awful person is that he definitely curses more than any of the others. You know.
0: <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so there's a couple of other things we're going to touch on: literary elements, and that's probably imagery and symbols, symbolism. Um, there, there are some sort of big things that happen in Jane Eyre. There's there the red room when she's a young child, where she is shut into the red room, and she is she literally drives herself to um, faint because she is so afraid of her uncle's ghost because that's where her uncle died. Um, and so it's not a fun red room by any stretch of the imagination. There's the scarf out the window of Thornfield hall, which is where the insane wife lives of the person that she falls in love with. And she doesn't know this woman exists, but she constantly sees this scarf and I don't know what that represents, but potentially, um, the, the free spirit trying to get out of this woman who is slightly insane. Um, not slightly insane. She's totally crazy. Um, (laughs) She's really sick. I believe that they, she had some sort of disease, some sort of, some sort of sexual venereal disease, I believe that kind of drove her insane. Um, And then also there is the, um, I love the part when they finally declare their love to each other. And then the tree that's standing right next to them gets struck by lightning and split in half. (laughs) (laughs) Does it get any clearer than that? You know, they're (laughs) <laughs> a little heavy handed there, but yeah, <laughs> a little heavy handed, a little obvious, but at the same time, like they, they completely, you know, they're completely willing to defy that they're like, no, this is so important to us. And of course we know that all goes to, yeah, it goes, goes someplace else when they, when they discover the, the wife that is still alive. <laughs>
1: Yeah, um, and that's kind of interesting too with the scarf because I know red is usually like a color of, uh, you know, sacrifice and that sort of thing. So it's kind of an interesting,
0: uh,
1: interesting thing to play with there. Um, Faulkner has a lot of—he always weaves a lot of symbolism into his story. Sometimes it's not obvious, sometimes it is. Um, his imagery often it plays a lot with like light and shadow. So if you notice kind of what's happening in terms of the lighting in the story. Um, that usually gives you some idea of how to, uh, you know, how to read into the events. So, but he also uses symbols, like um, one of the earliest ones that's established is that water is like this idea of cleansing and purity and things like that. And then, of course, the opposite of that is mud. And there's a scene where when Caddy is a little girl, she um, it's climbing, and, like she falls in the river and her underwear is muddy and that really bothers her brothers and it, like, hints at her future promiscuity and, like, how that's all going to play out. Um <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, and then Quentin's watch, she has this watch and it's constantly ticking. It reminds me a little bit of the Telltale Heart because it's like, it's like this concept of, like, time is always passing and he can't really seem to catch up, like he can't, he can't bring himself together. That's um cool yeah, so symbols really kind of play into this a lot.
0: So we obviously love to read, but um, the tr- <laughs> the truth is like, these are books that, that a lot of students were required to read in school. Jane Eyre is actually not one that I read in school. So I actually read it for pleasure because I happened to see um, the sort of the PBS version of it. And I wanted to see the rest of it. I wanted to read the rest of the story. So um, it's totally different sometimes when you read a book just for pleasure. And then when you read a book to study it. So it was actually kind of fun for me to go back and look at Jane Eyre from an academic perspective and really look at all of those things and those literary components that really make up a really quality piece of literature that makes it stand the test of time. I highly recommend you check out Jane Eyre, especially if you are a feminist and you love um, you love romance and you love that time period. I think you'll enjoy this book a lot.
1: Um, so for me, reading *The Sound and the Fury* it was actually kind of the opposite. It was um, I was taking a graduate level class when I was working on my undergraduate degree, and like. I, they assigned, you know, we assigned a couple of first books, of fine, they were fairly easy, and then all of a sudden we hit The Sound and the Fury, and I was like, what is happening? Because the opening is from the perspective of this, you know, he's a young man, he has a very low IQ, he doesn't understand what's happening around him, and it's just told from his perspective, so it was really hard for me to figure out what was going on. So this was actually the first time that I really sat down with like, and the internet was not much of a thing back then, you know, showing my age a little bit. Um, (laughs) so I sat down with like cliff notes and I was like, what is happening? You know, what is the timeline? What's going on? So it was one of the first books that I really studied in depth before I just, I went back later and just read it, you know, to enjoy it. Um, But the first time I read it, it was really like a deep dive into what is happening in this book. (laughs) So, um, But I definitely recommend it, especially if you're a fan of, you know, sort of the more, I guess, technical aspects of storytelling. Because, like, all four sections are completely different. The narrator changes each time. The tone changes each time. The writing style changes every time. It's really, uh, it's a very cool impressive work of literature
0: awesome we hope you've enjoyed this segment of the lit life thank you for listening to
1: the lit life check us out on the nightdale high school library website and follow us on social media